You're listening to Catholic Chicago Week in Review on Relevant Radio 950 AM and 930 AM. During the next hour, the Archdiocese of Chicago brings you conversation about the people, events, and issues that touch our lives. Welcome to Catholic Chicago Week in Review. Good morning, I'm Michael May of the Archdiocese of Chicago's Radio TV office, and I'm glad to be with you today for Catholic Chicago Week in Review. Every Saturday morning, we bring you highlights of our local Catholic radio programs that can be heard Monday through Friday from 8 to 9 in the morning on WNDZ 750 AM. We begin our program this week with a highlight from the Voice of Charity. Co-host Marie Jokum and Bridget Murphy had a conversation with their guests about Catholic Charities post-adoption services that help people from all over the country learn more about their ancestry. Here's some highlights. So one of my favorite things about working at um, our main location at 721 North LaSalle is when people come in asking for a tour. Because Bridget, did you know that most of those people were either born or adopted in that building? And I love being able to walk around with them and share them a little, share with them a little bit about the history. Um, what's exciting is that today we have folks on who don't need to make it up like I do sometimes when giving a tour. So we're going to hear from people who've had experiences at St. Vincent's Orphanage um, that was the wonderful life-affirming agency that existed for 91 years at 721 North LaSalle Street in Chicago before Catholic Charities took over that spot. That's right. And St. Vincent's, excuse me, helped thousands of women, children, and adoptive families from 1881 through 1972 um, find each other, really, care care for young babies and uh, small children, and then match them with families. Um, Our post-adoption services department hears from people around the country who know they lived at St. Vincent's for a period of time and want to learn more. And while there are certainly restrictions on what information we can give out due to privacy laws, whatever we can share, we do. And we are finding that these connections, of course, to the past are incredibly meaningful to people. And for the past seven years, Catholic Charities has held a reunion every September for anyone who was involved in St. Vincent's. Last year, the chapel was packed with adoptees, birth parents, adoptive parents, St. Vincent's employees and volunteers, just a ton of people who all want to keep the St. Vincent's legacy alive with their presence and with their connections to one another. So with us today are two ladies who are experts on St. Vincent's. Lisa Francis is a Catholic Charities post-adoption specialist, and Maureen Roach was a child care technician at St. Vincent's in the late 1960s. Maureen also is co-author of a beautiful book of remembrances about St. Vincent's. The book is called St. Vincent's, An Orphanage That Shined. Welcome, Lisa and Maureen. Good morning. Hello, thanks for having us. Good morning, Lisa. We're going to start with you. Can you give us an overview of the work of Catholic Charities Post-Adoption Services? Absolutely. We provide a variety of services, including um, non-identifying birth family background information, search and reunion services, ongoing support group meetings, and counseling services. And this is all for adult adoptees, birth parents, adoptive parents, and even adoptees who are, um, they could be children or adolescents who are having questions, and their parents often bring them in for just a, a session to ask questions and talk with a social worker. 
Lisa, what is um, non-identifying birth family information? Good question. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Usually it consists of birth parents' ages, nationalities, um, their education level or occupation if they had one, um, the relationship between birth parents, any social background um, and family information. And um, if there is any health information, usually there's not a lot, but if there is any, we would provide that. And this is all the information that we would have gotten from birth parents at the time of the placement. You know, Lisa, um, for for our listeners, Lisa knows everything about <laughs> adoption. She knows everything about St. Vincent's. Um, I, I, one of the exciting things Catholic Charities has participated in is the Open House Chicago with the Chicago Architectural uh, Foundation for the past few years. And Lisa's been so helpful in telling us what goes on in that building. But as part of that, we will have people walk in. And Lisa, I know you've had this experience during Open House who... Um, come to us, come to you, wanting to know some more information. What are some of the reasons why people show up, either walking in through the door or calling your department? Sure, a lot of different reasons. When we get the calls, they're mainly people who want to connect with biological relatives, so they are calling for search and reunion services. But also, some people just want to learn about their ethnicity, their heritage, any kind of background information in their family, or some people may have some health issues and they need to find out some medical information. So we assist them in maybe reaching out to birth family to get that. Um, Some people have been on genealogy sites like Ancestry.com and call us with questions about that. They, They think they may have found a biological relative. Sometimes people call shortly after their adoptive parents have passed, and at that point in their lives, they might start thinking about reconnecting and searching you know, for birth family, so a lot of different reasons. But basic, basic really natural, um, normal curiosity. Sometimes people just want to go back to St. Vincent's to see where they started. I mean, to be able to fill in those blanks for people must be just so rewarding and important. Um, I'm sure it's not always joyful. We certainly think of St. Vincent's as a place where families found each other. Uh, but, you know, the adults who come back um, to and have questions about their past, I'm sure there's a range of emotions. Can you talk a little bit about that? There certainly are. I would they everything from nervous and excited, um, surprised when they get some information or learn something, sometimes disappointment. Um, if, if we reach out and birth parents have passed away mm. or birth parents are not open, there can be disappointment or even in the information they learn from the file. Sometimes it can be bad information. Um, sometimes people are relieved uh, to learn any information. Um, And it it gives them, I would say, in general, whether it's learning the background information from the file or connecting with family, for the most part, it gives people a sense of fulfillment and a feeling of wholeness that they didn't have before. It, It really fills in the blanks in their life. 
That's beautiful. We're here talking today with Lisa Francis, who's a Catholic Charities post-adoption specialist, and Maureen Roche, who was a child care technician, or CCT, at St. Vincent's in the late 1960s. She's also the co-author of a beautiful book of remembrances about St. Vincent's. The book is called St. Vincent's, an Orphanage That Shined. I have read that book, and Maureen, I didn't know that you wrote that book, so I love the full circle. Here we are today. Well, thank you, but it was, it was uh, my co-author, Kathy Heenan, that got the ball rolling on that. In fact, it's, it all started with our reunion back in 1995. Uh, we had an all-school reunion, which was just for the employees and the um, other uh, CCGs, um, child care technicians, and um, that's where it started. And we had the auditorium which I know it has a name now, but I don't, to me, it's the auditorium. <laughs> <laughs> and um, that's where you have your uh, dinners. Yep, St. Vincent's Hall, we call it. Okay. And uh, it was packed. Uh, I mean, it was just marvelous. And so we, from there, we decided there was something more we had to do. And so we went on a, a journey, you might say, trying to figure out what it was that God wanted us to do. Uh, about St. Vincent's, because just seeing the building always brought back a lot of emotions for us. Oh, I can't so, imagine. Um, the, you know, it was one thing after another that we got started getting letters from people telling us their stories mm-hmm. or just running into people. I My children went to school with a woman um, whose sister had been adopted from there, and her story is in the book, and her mother had been a volunteer. At, at St. Vincent's. And, of course, I had known her for several years and had no idea of her connection to St. Vincent's. Oh, wow. So, um, anyhow, those are the stories, you know, people sent in to us. Um, some people reached out to us so they could make connection. Um, and I'd have to go back and read the story. But I know that it was, um, you know, most of these people. Now, I, w- I went to school there. Uh, in September of 66 to 67, and then I became an employee for Catholic Charities till 68. Um, the, the Daughters of Charity had brought in, began their training program in 1905 for high school graduates, and they had a strict standard of care for the children. And like, the kids had to be held while, when they were being fed. So, um, anyhow, it was it was quite an emotional time, and so... There was one woman, um, and I don't remember, I think it was the child that wanted to reach out to her mother, and they may have contacted you, Lisa, I'm not, I don't remember, um, but we were able to get them together. The, I want to say the daughter lived here and the mother was in California, not in very good health, but they did get together, but that, and that, that brought us a lot of happiness and joy to be able to, to do that for them. Of course. Maureen, remind us of your time span. So you said 68 through when? No, 66 to 68. Okay. And then you mentioned the training. What kind of training and what were your responsibilities? Okay. Well, just what any any mother would be doing. But um, we went, okay, it was a full year course, and we went six days a week. Two half days were in classrooms, so they also taught theory behind child care. Um, and uh, 
we you know we were told taught how to properly change a diaper. You know, there were no Pampers or Huggies at that time. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, how to bathe them, how to feed them, um, and how to play with them. Oh. So uh, that was, you know, just what I'm, we were, you know, obviously it functioned 24-7, mm-hmm. the building. Um, so we we worked different shifts. They were usually eight hours, um, depending upon the age group and, you know, what the older children didn't need the same, they needed people there. Don't get me wrong, because there was always somebody with the children. But the infants that were uh, in the newborn nursery, there were more people that had to work that department from the uh, midnight to 8 in the morning shift, you know, that type of thing. Wow, wow. Maureen, in, in the book that we were talking about that you wrote, it was dedicated to the work of the Daughters of Charity and all who've entered these gates. Can you tell us a little bit about those daughters? I know that they were they are and were so important to the work that was happening at St. Vincent's and the work that continues around the world. Uh, well, yes. Well, the, the main thing I would guess would say is that um, they were, we, we didn't really interact with them as you might, you know, think, because they were the supervisors. So maybe some of the girls had better, you know, relationships with, I just remember them being um, the supervisor, being in charge. And they were very nice, and, you know, they they did what they needed to do, you know, when helping, in helping out. Um, so, but I didn't really have any, any, personal interaction with them other than like i said working with them on the floor Uh, maureen can you tell us i you know we're not supposed to have favorites but i have a feeling there was a baby or a youngster (laughs) or or two that um really touched your heart oh yes we we had met everybody had a favorite baby so (laughs) um and and so they got a little special love, you know. They, they, uh, a girl might come back on uh, Christmas, and maybe she was off, but she wanted to see her her favorite baby. Um, you know that that I mean, we did, and we made sure that they had, you know, they were dressed nicely, you know, matching outfits or whatever, not just on the holidays, just to, so they looked good. Um, but uh, yeah, we. Uh, <laughs> I, I had a couple of them, and I think <laughs> most of them, I think most of them did. Uh, I, Maria was um, a very special one to me. Oh, that's and lovely I, that you remember her name, too, all I these years I remember her later. birthday. Oh. And we're talking over 50 years ago. But you know what? You know what's amazing? I'm not the only one that does this. Yeah, sure. I, a lot of my classmates and friends, I last year ran into a classmate I hadn't seen probably in over 20 years, you know, at the reunion we ran into her. So, and I'm like, how did you find out about this? Because we didn't, it was more word of mouth, sure. we, you know, through the years. And um, so she knew somebody who knew somebody. I mean, we tried to reach out to the um, different parishes and ask them to post it in their, their bulletins. Yeah. Um, you know, that sort of thing. But she had found out from... Uh, I don't remember if it was a cousin or a sister. You know, like that. 
Maureen, you are really highlighting the the beauty of the community that was formed there and how loved and well taken care of those children were. And every fall, we typically have a reunion of babies, parents, childcare technicians, the whole family at St. Vincent's, and that has obviously been postponed due to the pandemic. But it sounds like, Lisa, I think you've come up with an alternative idea for this year. Is that right? We are working on it, yes. Um, We hope to have, um, on September 20th, that is our goal, we hope to have some new videos posted on our Facebook page. Some of the videos will be of our CCT, the child care technicians, talking about their time there caring for the babies and toddlers. And we will have um, an adoptee story as well, and hopefully a virtual tour of St. Vincent's given by a couple of the child care technicians who were there for several years. Wow, that we've been talking a lot about innovative ways to get people engaged during this time, and that definitely um, that definitely takes the cake. Lisa, this month in Teenager News, there's a story about the Honorable Joseph Wood, who was adopted from St. Vincent's at age 10, and he has now gone on to be a county judge in Arkansas. You share his story on your Facebook page as well. Is that correct? We are in the process of putting that on Facebook. We're a little bit delayed, but I will say it is worth the wait. Um, We're hoping to have that posted by September 20th, and he has a very beautiful and inspiring story, and to hear him speak is is a real treat. So hopefully um, September 20th is the post date for that, too. Well, we just said it on the radio, Lisa, so you and your team need to need to get on it. <laughs> this is breaking news. Right. Um, I, I just want to share, I was very fortunate last year to be part of the reunion. And I have to say the most, one of the most moving parts for me was at Mass, there was a moment where everyone mm. blessed each other. So Father asked... The child care tech, I might have the order wrong, but asked the technicians to bless the adoptive parents and the parents to to bless the children. And there was just this beautiful mutuality around the the families and the relationships that were created. And um, video will be hard to capture that. But and then you have people going up and down the floors. I I remember this. I remember that. And is this is this where this would have happened? And um, it really is quite extraordinary. And I just think you two must be, you know, what what a gift for you and that you've given other people that you've been part of connecting people like this. You know, it's, I, I can't speak for Maureen, but I know she, she would probably agree. It's a privilege for us. That building is no ordinary building. St. Vincent's has been filled with love since since the day it started, um, since the day the Daughters of Charity started taking um, people in, and it continues today. And I, I just feel lucky to be a part of, um, of that, of the mission, and um, any way that we're able to help people get their history, revisit St. Vincent's, any way that I can help, it's it's really a privilege, and I think Maureen would agree. Yeah, the one thing I would like to say about the building of 721 North LaSalle is that um, 
The Daughters of Charities had three other homes for the children before they built the building at 721. And then they ran into difficulties due to the stock market crash. And the daughters went to Cardinal Mundelein and arranged an agreement with Catholic Charities. That began their partnership. And in and this always gets me, but and the rooms are a lot different than they were then, but in nineteen thirty, in December of nineteen thirty, Cardinal Mundelein with fellow clergy sisters, nurses and students, I'm sure, consecrated each room in that then six story building for the children to be that would be cared for through that through, through that building. For more information about the services offered by Catholic Charities and how you can help, visit catholiccharities.net. That's catholiccharities.net. Time now for a break, and when we return, we will hear about the annual Sunrise Prayer Service that is sponsored by the Black Catholic Deacons of Chicago. Back in a moment. people around the world are interested in their family history. At Catholic Charities, we are hearing from adults who lived for a brief time at St. Vincent's Orphanage, the wonderful life-affirming agency that operated out of our headquarters for 91 years, serving thousands of women, children, and families until it closed in 1972. Our post-adoption services help adults who want to learn more about their experience at St. Vincent's. Our compassionate staff members provide whatever family background information they can offer, along with support and reunion services. To learn more, call 312-655-7093. That's 312-655-7093. The spirit of St. Vincent's lives on in the inspiring stories that continue to emerge today. We invite you to watch Catholic Chicago this weekend, featuring a conversation with Cardinal Blaise Supich and video highlights from across the archdiocese. Here's host Todd Williamson. We'll talk with Cardinal Blaise Supich about ongoing efforts to safely reopen churches and schools. We'll take you to a drive-in mass, one of the more creative ways to worship during the COVID-19 pandemic. And we'll hear from our new priests, men who were recently ordained to serve the Archdiocese of Chicago. Watch Catholic Chicago Friday at 7 p.m. on Chicago Loop Cable, Channel 25, and Sunday afternoon at 3 on the Comcast Network, Channel 100. Welcome back to Catholic Chicago Week in Review, a program that brings you highlights of our local Catholic radio programs that can be heard Monday through Friday from 8 to 9 in the morning on WNDZ 750 a.m. And here's a reminder that you can also listen to all our programs live or at your convenience by going to radiotv.archchicago.org. That's radiotv.archchicago.org. And our radio programs are available on all your favorite podcast platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Anchor. So subscribe today. We continue our program with a segment from Catholic Chicago. Every year, the Black Catholic Deacons of Chicago sponsor a sunrise prayer service to pray for the end to the violence in our neighborhoods and the protection of our children as the new school year begins. Co-hosts Father Greg Sakowitz and Mark Teresi spoke with two of the organizers of this year's prayer service called No Ways Tired. Let's listen in. 
Deacon Leroy Gill, who's been on before, and Deacon William Ponce. Good morning, gentlemen. How are you? Good morning. Good, good morning. We're fine. Good, Thank you. Good morning. It, uh, now, Deacon Leroy Gill, you were on the program about a year ago? I, that's about right. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And for William Pouncey, have you been on before, William? Uh, I'm not sure. I know I was on once before with uh, one of the other. Uh, no, I haven't been on before. Okay, because the thing is, but this is a, a marvelous. Now, maybe for, uh, I like the uh, title, No Ways Tired. Um, who thought of that title? Uh, I did. <laughs> How'd you come up with that one? I, I, I kind of like that title. You know what? You know what? Uh, we've been doing this. This is our 10th year. And because this year the violence is just soaring. Yes. I mean, it's higher already than it has been in the previous, you know, nine individual years, it seems like, or close, you know. And I said, my God, I'm going to be, I'm 63. I said, I'll be doing this for another 10 years, (laughs) praying for an end of violence. I said, so I can't get tired now. Okay. You know, I said, I cannot get tired now. And, um, now, it, it, just stop right there. It's interesting you say that because if this is the 10th year of this prayer service, which I know you've been on more than once, the more I think about it, is you can be asking yourself, every year we're praying for an end to violence. Every year we have it. It seems to be getting worse. It's so easy to get down and say, I quit, I throw in the towel, I give up, but you're not. No. Who, att- who attends the service? Who attends it? Yeah, who, uh, it's who open comes? to the public. Oh, it I is. mean, you know, we 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 send out our. I mean, of course, this year is different. You know, due to the COVID, we 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 limited our seating, but typically all the deacons uh, put it you know put it out at the parishes and the archdiocese always assist us. You know, we're pleased. Uh, Susan uh, always sends it out for us, and so we get people from all over. And the Sunrise Prayer Service was held where along the uh, lakefront? At the uh, 39th Street. Well, let's back it up. The first five years, we did it from 79th Street Beach mm-hmm. all the way up to Evanston. Every beach. Wow. Uh, okay. At the same time in the morning. So each deacon and some of my uh, classmates took beaches. In fact, I do remember now, maybe about uh, five, six years ago, I was involved with the Sunrise Service in Evanston. With Yes, uh-huh, with Deacon Dennis Roback. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Dennis Roback is exactly correct. And uh, and that was at Sunrise, which was beautiful. It was well attended by about 30, 40 people early in the morning, Sunrise. Mm-hmm. And it was a very beautiful prayer service. And uh, maybe the, the question for both of you, maybe that's this William first. William, have you been a part of all 10 Sunrise Prayer Services, or is this your first, second, or third one? I've been involved all 10 years, all with this being the 10th year, all years. Uh, we held our prayer service at 12th Street Beach. You know, as uh, Deacon Gill mentioned that, we uh, our concept was to have a prayer service at every beach along the, the coastline. And as prayers go up, blessings come down. You know, more people need to be involved in prayer you know we take prayer some people take prayer as a second uh guideline or whatever but more, remember back when we had our, our prayer our prayer warriors 
They never yeah. stop preach. They never stop praying. And as for the black deacons, we're looking, we're doing the same thing. Like Gil said, we can't get tired now. We've been doing this too long. And we believe that as long as prayers go up, blessings will come down and that our, our Lord can heal the land. And that's what we want. We want more people to be involved with this praying because we just can't stop praying now. We need prayer in our lives. Now you're both you're both you're both ordained deacons. Um, yes. I, I have a question for both of you. How, whoever wants to answer first and then second. Um, what led you to ordination? <laughs> well, William, I guess it, it, it's a call. You know, I uh, before I became a deacon, I was at St. Angela's uh, School and Church Parish, and I was working with the the, the kids there and. My pastor came up and said, you know, you're doing so much. You're being involved, you know, with the youth and everything. You should be a deacon. And, you know, he planted, I guess that seed was planted. Mm-hmm. And that seed being planted, you know, I just, you know, I let it take root. What year was the uh, What year was the seed planted, William? I think it was planted in the year 2000. Who was so, your pastor? Who was your pastor then? Father Dennis Riley, who you oh, oh, sure. had okay. recently passed away. Would you believe, uh, William, he was my classmate? Oh, he was? Oh, no. yeah. They were ordained wow. together in 79. And by the way, he was a tremendous, tremendous priest and a great basketball player. Yes, he was. <laughs> I played with him and against him and uh, a tremendous athlete, football, softball, but especially as he's you know, a, a wonderful, gifted priest, and uh, he died much too soon. Yes, he did. And he the, was one of the ones who had me start coaching the, uh, the grammar school basketball team. So that was my first involvement between, besides being a basketball coach and a usher at church. Yeah, it, it mm-hmm. is, when you think of the name Dennis Riley, just a tremendous gift to the Archdiocese of Chicago. How mm-hmm. about for you, Leroy? How, how the call to a diaconate, uh, who invited you? Well, I was originally from Holy Angels, so I was very familiar with Father Riley. Sure. He was at Holy Angels many years. Yes. Uh, but uh, my story is a little different probably because I was more like Jonah. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, call somebody else. I heard I, I heard the call and then I went in the next room. <laughs> then I heard the call and went in another room. I know the feeling. <laughs> so yeah, I was being asked similar to what William said. I was doing a lot of um things at the church, but uh the pastor mentioned it. But then the deacon at the time, uh Deacon Jasper Roy, he just kept asking me and kept asking me. Hmm. And um a sad, kind of sad, but, you know, I was leaving for vacation, and uh, Roy gave me an application to fill out. He said, take this with you and think about it and fill it out. You on know. vacation. <laughs> I was going on vacation, right. And, uh, Not no more. I, <laughs> so, but what happened was I took the application, and, uh, you know, it was Christmas. We were going to my wife's, my father-in-law's house. and But anyway, he passed away during that Christmas. Oh, mm. wow. So wow. he gave me this application, and I come back, he's gone. <laughs> wow. So uh, He invited you to take his place. Yeah, so <laughs> I, I looked at God, I said, okay, I guess no more running. <laughs> That's a so, uh, And you ordained a deacon in what year? 2006. And so then William is 2000, and you're 2006. Yes, he was. No, I was ordained in 2004. Oh, 2004, Four. okay. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, you guys are two veterans. Yeah. Yeah, but how important! I was up at Munline for fifteen years, and all all I kept hearing loud and clear was invitation, inviting, 
uh, and now it's probably your responsibility to do the next round of inviting to the diaconate. I mean, that's a wonderful, wonderful responsibility. Can I ask one other thing? So what's the greatest gift in the diaconate for you, each of you? For me, um, the greatest gift has been for me, maybe I would say two, uh, it's kind of tied, uh, being able to minister to children. Mm-hmm. I minister at the Academy of St. Benedict, the African School. Oh, sure. In Inglewood. That's been the that's been the greatest joy of my ministry, um, working with those kids who, who have stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We don't have to get into that, but they have stories that you can't imagine. And being able to be there and love them and share their stories and uh, the trust they have in me to share their stories, that's just been a joy. Beautiful. Uh, and between that and then preaching from the pulpit to yeah. break down the Word to the people of God, those those have been my... How about for you, William? <clears throat> well, pretty much the same. I, I, I work with uh, a, different, a lot of various groups, but my greatest joy is being seen that, you know, that I'm being supported, and people um, rely on me to uh, be there for them as far as with different organizations. And, you know, God has opened up many doors for me, doors that I thought they were shut. Uh, I help out with, uh, I work over at St. Giles also, as they're spreading the word, along with my church at St. Martin de Porres and different organizations that um, they have came towards me to, you know, just to be there for support. You know, I always had, you know, when I was young, uh, I always said, I want to give back to for the many people that helped me, and for the church. The church helped me a lot when I was young, and, and high, through high school and so on, and through life. And I said, I want to be able to give back. And God has given me that opportunity to give back to people and to different organizations, you know, just to be there for people. I didn't realize it extended. What a beautiful image. All the way down the lakefront, people were praying. South yeah. for our for our children, and it ties right into your mission and ministry with children. We're praying for them. Now, along those lines, maybe I can just jump in for a second for both William and for Leroy. You've been doing this for ten years of prayer service. How has this prayer service touched your life over the years? It has to have had some type of effect in you. Again, but again, maybe personally, I could see being both ways, positive and negative. Positive in terms of. We pray for an end to violence, that the Lord is with us. Ask for the shower of the blessings of the Lord. But then you can get down and say, am I making a difference? Is this making a difference? Violence is getting worse. So just your thoughts on that, both William and Leroy. Either one can jump in. I, 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 I mean, for me, um, in my ministry, I, just, I believe in prayer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I also believe that God's time is not our time. Um, but the scripture just says, you know, just seek me, humble yourselves and pray. And God says, I will heal your land. And you, you just have to believe that. He doesn't say today, tomorrow. Um, and I'm thinking about the first reading that we're going to use this Saturday. You know, when when we, we will be, you know, we'll be crying out to the Lord, how long, how long must I call for help? Yeah. But you do not listen. And then the Lord's answer says, look, 
I'm going to do something in your day that you would not believe, even if you were told. So uh, there's a promise there in God, and that's, that's what we believe, and that's what I'm called to do. But see, you're speaking also from a moment of conversion, because weren't you Jonah? It's <laughs> a nice going, Jonah. <laughs> no, <laughs> You've come a I'm, long Paul, way. I'm Paul now. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's important for people to hear that yeah. on their on their yeah. journey, on their faith. I think journey. in our lives, there's always a part of Jonah in us, and maybe we go through times in our lives to be the Paul, mm-hmm. and we're called to be Christ to each other. How about for you, William? You know, it's the same. Like Deacon Leroy said, that you know we're crying out to the Lord, and you know again when Father. Riley planted that seed, you know, I looked at him and said, yeah, why me? You know, I'm nobody special. You know, I don't think so. And I ran away, but then he asked again. And I just said yes. But, uh, you know, we have to, this is something that we have to do, you know, because the Lord will bless this land. The Lord will heal heal our land. And what Leroy said that uh, our time is not God's time. You know, prayer without ceasing, brings down blessings. And the Lord does hear. And, you know, for, for the, the years we have had the prayer service, it has grown to, you know, to hundreds. Yeah, I think our last prayer service, we had over two to 400 people there. So each time we do this, we're getting others involved. We mean, maybe for just a moment, we mentioned the prayer service to be held at St. Catherine Drexel this Saturday in the parking lot at what time? 6.30. So 6.30 a.m. this Saturday, which happens to be September 12th. 12th. And the address? Uh, 91st and Stony Island. Okay. 91st and Stony Island, 6.30 in the morning. Yeah. Your, now, rain or shine, it's at 6.30, correct? Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah so it's, it's, you can't miss it. It's, it's a huge parking lot right on Stony Island. You know, it's it's right there. Um, it'll be literally a drive-in prayer service. You pull in, and will people be given headsets or something to click onto their? Yeah, phone? what'll happen? We we we've arranged for fifty seating, live. You know, people to sit. Mm-hmm. <coughs> Excuse me. And then there's for whatever else after that. It's, it's it's it'll be parking. So we're live. We're streaming it live on our on St. Catherine's Facebook page. Mm-hmm. And that and, Facebook page is. How do you get? How do you? Is it on your it's website too? It's on the too? flyer, um, okay. but it's Saint. I mean, I think you would just go to Saint Catherine Drexel on Facebook. Okay, and then you'd find it. Okay, and then Saint we Catherine then Drexel. we have a site, the Chicago Black Catholic Deacons dot org. Okay, so Chicago Black Deacons dot org and Chicago Black Catholic Deacons dot org. Oh. It's on that website too. That's on, yeah. And then when you go there, it'll take you right to the uh, live stream. That's the way it's set up. Okay. And then if you're in your car, so the thought is if it got if we took the if we fill the fifty seats and then people park in the cars, uh they'd be able to sit in their cars and then live stream it, uh and then we're gonna we got an FM transmitter, so we're gonna have it where it'll play on one um on an FM radio station That's in terrific. your car. And if and if you cannot come, all our our listeners at six thirty in the morning can join you in prayer. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, and they can live stream it from their home. Beautiful. I think Beautiful. I know in past years you've had it on the lake shore, south mm-hmm. through the north. This year it's going to be in one location, and hopefully a year from now you'll be back to the uh, lake shore again. Yes. Now you had both talked about working with young people, how important that is, and 
uh, Father Greg and I are both on uh, the McLaughlin Foundation, and we fund through the in the name of Father Robert McLaughlin, who was a great advocate for young people. Um, Father Dave Kelly has peace circles, um, and it's for young people who talk about their situations in terms of violence in their lives, and and they share they share those moments. But there's also reconciliation for them in terms of having to deal with them. And I know this is difficult, but what what are you seeing in terms of the younger populations that you're working with? What are their biggest issues that they're dealing with in terms of violence? Um, the, the kids that I speak with, and I and I work with Father Kelly. I was actually on his board. Were you really? Isn't a couple it, years ago. Isn't that so, wonderful work? Yeah, yeah. He's yeah, a great on, priest, another great priest. Board of Directors, yeah. Um, but the, the, what the kids are facing is, is, is they, 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 the gangs. Um, you know, the kids I talk to being recruited in the gangs, mm. and, and their biggest fear is being shot. Oh. Yeah. You know, um, you know they they, the kids, they they're, they're the afraid of that. The kids just want to grow up. Pardon me. The kids just want to grow. They they, they want want to stop being afraid. They want to grow up. They want a future. Sure. Yes. Now, it's interesting that we can look at our lives. I'm 67. Mark here is 65. Uh, Leroy, how old are you? Uh, 62. William? And I just made 65. Okay, so oh, it's interesting. We're all within about five years of each other, so we were raised together. But it hits me as, do children today face a world so different than when we were growing up? It's more violent mm-hmm. and it's tougher. Mm-hmm. You know, we thought it was tough growing up as kids. When we were kids, when we were a kid, you know, your parents are outdated and all that stuff. But uh, I think the the, ch- the world of these children today, it's got to be unbelievable. And we just said a few minutes ago, all you want to do is grow up, not be shot, make mm-hmm. a difference, and you know, and really be productive lives, and uh, and to love others. Yeah, I heard something profound one time from a kid that, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? And he said, alive. Yeah, I mean, I mean, what, 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 what a comment! I want to be alive. Now, it's wow, a, it, it, that's, that's that is profound. It, yeah. it really is. You know, for years I worked at Mercy Home for boys and girls, where mm-hmm. you know kids who had difficulties would come. And Father Close, who was my mentor, would always say, "But you have to tell folks some of the success stories." Yes. So. Maybe could each of you reflect on a success story? Maybe kids, you somebody you worked with, or kids that you've seen that you know has been assigned a, have a future and are making a difference now. Yeah, I mean, I'm excited even about the sunrise services this, this Saturday. The praise dancer team is one of my kids from Saint Benedict, oh, who's wow. now a sophomore in high school, um, who I watched for six years grow up. Mm-hmm. And now she has her own praise dance team, wow. and she does her own choreography. Wow! So uh, that is wonderful. She's—I uh, I mean, I called her and I said I need a favor, and she just said yes. I said, you know, she says I know you want me to dance at your service, don't you? <laughs> you know? How did you? How did you guess? <laughs> yeah, she knew what was going on, mm-hmm. and, um, and and you know, so when I see kids, you know. Um, that are doing well and still in the ministry, you know that that's that's blessing. I've, and I've and I've bumped into a lot of kids that I've 
known since they were kids, and a couple of them, most of them are in college or just graduated. Uh, they're doing well. I had a young man from Holy Angels just sent me something through LinkedIn that he wants to hook up and come by and talk to me because he wants to open up a business. Wonderful. There was another you know, sex story. So he wants to come by my office and talk to me. I, I own a business. So he wants to come by here and talk to me about how to run a business. Our prayers are with Deacons Gill and Pouncey in their ministry. Our final segment today is about the arts. The Illinois chapter of the Patrons of the Arts in the Vatican Museums is sponsoring a virtual lecture series called Rosa Mystica, A Journey of Renewal and Restoration. The first virtual event will take place at Holy Name Cathedral on October 1st from 6.30 to 7.30 p.m. Here's a highlight of that conversation. The five program series will take place over a 15-month period with each event showcasing magnificent Marian art accompanied by artistic and spiritual commentary. The first visual, or visual, virtual event will take place at Holy Name Cathedral on October 1st from 6.30 to 7.30 p.m. And I also want to read this little bit here. The Patrons of the Vatican Museum is a national organization with several chapters in the U.S. There's an Illinois chapter of the Patrons. The Patrons support the work of the Vatican Museums through their financial support of the restoration work that the museums carry on. And with us, not in studio, but by phone, two wonderful young people, <laughs> Anne Shea, yeah. patrons of the arts in Muse- Vatican Museum, and Father Luke Camelli, the Cardinal's Delegate for Christian Formation and Mission. And Father Luke Camelli happens to be a resident at the cathedral. In fact, uh, Lou is a and neighbor. And a neighbor. And, a, and neighbor. a neighbor down the street. So good morning, Lou. Good morning, Anne. How morning. are you? Good morning. Good morning. Great to be with both of you. And by the way, Anne, I have read that book twice that you gave me. Uh, from Henry Nowen, when he talked about the losing his mother, oh. and um, a compendium of two books combined, I've read it twice already. So I can't thank you enough because I lost my mother in January. You were kind enough to give me that book from Henry Nowen, and uh, it's really made a big difference. So thank you. You're welcome. I I think that book has helped a number of people, and I I I, t- I think I told you, Father Greg, I keep a stock of them to help people. <laughs> when they've lost a parent, because it, as you can read it through the years, and as you go through the grieving process, you get deeper into the book. So I'm glad it helped you. It's helped me immensely, just his journey, then my journey of losing my mother uh, eight months ago. So, well, this Illinois chapter of the Patrons of the Arts in the Vatican Museums is outstanding. Who, for a moment, can give us the history, when and how did this begin? And I think I, you probably I, have a better sense of that. Uh, it, it began under uh, Cardinal, was it Cardinal Bernadine? It began, began yes, under Cardinal Bernadine in 1993. And uh, it was out of the, if you recall, in the late, uh, in the mid-80s, there was a major Vatican exhibit in Chicago, mm-hmm. L.A., and New York. That's right, yeah. And I think a, a lot of us went through <laughs> Uh, through the uh, Art Institute at that time. And uh, out of that, Cardinal uh, Bernadine uh, was one of the uh, original people to begin the, or to start uh, the patrons. It is organized under the um, Archbishop of Chicago. So currently, Cardinal Supic serves as our chairperson. I'm his, I'm the president of the board. And uh, Father Jack Wall is Cardinal Stupich's representative. And what is Father Luke Camelli's position with this uh, patron? Father Camelli is priceless. Uh, 
<laughs> yes, he is. <laughs> and we, we, and we all know that. <laughs> yes, we and do all know a, that. He's a director on uh, he's a director on the patrons board. Okay. And this isn't just a functional um, organization that says, "Look at art pieces, restore them." You, you're really tied to the whole spirituality of of them. Like for instance, the Mary statue that was refound and brought back to Holy Name Cathedral. It's a beautiful carved marble image of Mary, and you sit in front of that statue in prayer, and something spiritual really takes over. So um, can you talk a little bit about, from both of your perspectives, how has art impacted your life that you're willing to spend time on this project? Yeah, you know, uh, one of the things that that we've done uh, with the patrons is uh, a series at the the Art Institute, and and the title is very, I think, instructive. It's Art as a Carrier of Faith. Uh, it, it's intimately tied up. Art and faith, at least, and certainly in the Catholic tradition, is is very they're very closely aligned. We believe that the Word was made flesh, and that's that. I mean, that's just a central conviction of faith that uh, that God has taken human form in, in Jesus Christ. And so and this whole world becomes a, a place uh, where God can be revealed. But in a particular way, uh, in what is beautiful. And, uh, and the, the works of art become, in a, in a certain sense, effective signs of the presence of God in the mysteries of faith. And that's why especially Catholic people, are very attached to the images uh, of, of, of faith. And, 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 so, and, the, and the artists have been able to evoke uh, perhaps a deeper reflection on the mysteries of faith. So that's, that's a little piece of it. I mean, there's a lot more that could be said, but I, I, for and me... Maybe for a second, Lou, say more about it, because I find that uh, just a compassion or the passion you both have and many others do i mean this illinois chapter the patrons of the arts in the vatican museums the work you do is profound but there's such a passion that is done by so many people but there's that connection between art and faith which i know in our catholic tradition is so so important and i think moving forward it even becomes more important in the lives of people just may even even say more about it. I'd also like to hear from Anne's perspective with that, too. Sure. Um, And for me, personally, beauty unites us. Uh, That was a commentary by uh, Pope Francis um, recently. When I look at what art does for me personally, it becomes a mirror. Mm. So when I look at a painting... And I, I just look at it. It becomes a reflection of who I am. And it fills up the cup for the day. You know, it, it helps you to get through. I like uh, that image. And it also, when, go ahead. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, no. uh, several years ago, um, Father Lou, Jack Shea, and Rebecca Long from the Art Institute uh, and I talked about a way to engage people through art in the Vatican Museum. And we started a program um, called Art as a Carrier of Faith. And what we would do is take, go, take our patrons through the Art Institute. Um, over an hour, we'd go through three or four paintings, 
And then we would convene afterwards with a glass of wine and just talk about uh, what what the painting does. And so there'd be a, an artistic and theological commentary. Uh, and it really, it was our most successful program. And that was really the springboard for Rosa Mystica. In fact, maybe say something more about this whole thing called uh, Rosa Mystica, a journey of renewal and restoration. Is this an outflow of some of those conversations? Yes, definitely. And what we're looking at is, um, particularly now, how to help people get through these difficult times. And what can art do for you? So the Illinois patrons have a different take. So it's not just, do we raise funds to restore artwork in the Vatican Museum? Yes, we do. But we really want to look at what can art, what can art do for you. You're trying to touch lives. Exactly. Oh, absolutely. And in and doing it through the figure of Mary, the mother of the Lord, uh, who, the, you know, the Second Vatican Council said she's a sign of uh, sure hope and comfort for the pilgrim people of God. That, that, that's right from the Council. And in this time of the pandemic and social upheaval and so forth, that her presence, her, and, and that gets evoked by the images, it is incredibly important for people of faith to know that there is a uh, comforting, maternal, uh, hope-filled presence with us, walking with us. That's that's just really important. And what the artists do, the different artistic representations that we'll take a look at, mostly drawn from the Vatican museums, uh, they will give us uh, the the eyes to see this and to perceive it. So it's, it's really pretty exciting, and, and not only exciting, but also needed at this time. And I wanted to ask you, I heard you have a story, kind of a personal story about a restoration of a painting in honor of Cardinal George. Could you share um, that story with our listeners? I would love to tell you this story. It's just so heartwarming. Um, in 2013, beginning of 2013, um, um, Cardinal uh, Cardinal George was in Rome, and um, I met him there because we were meeting to talk about uh, the patrons, and we had restored, uh, the patrons had restored a painting in his honor. Um, it was Madonna and Child with St. Mary Magdalene. So we're in this meeting, and then I took him to the restoration lab to show him the painting, and he looked at me and he said, I would love to have this in Chicago on my 50th anniversary of my ordination. Mm. So I said to him, I'll make it happen. <laughs> so that at the end of, uh, uh, probably the end of November, the beginning of December of 2013, we had the painting um, shipped from the Vatican Museums, and it was on display in the Art Institute for three months. And at the night of um, uh, this reception in his honor at the Art Institute, um, there was a theological and artistic commentary we always have had. And then Cardinal George became very emotional, and he talked about uh, the time his mother would drop him off in the Art Institute and she would go shopping at Marshall Field. <laughs> really? And, and he was so touched by it. His eyes were watering up. Um, Cardinal George and Cardinal Supage have been so supportive of the Illinois chapter. 
uh, and particularly, um, let me give you an example with Cardinal George because his longevity was so much more than with uh, than Cardinal Stupich, who's our current chairperson. He would come to every one of our events except one time when he was having chemotherapy. Wow. wow. So it was so touching. And he really believed in the work of the patrons. And I find now that Cardinal Stupich is just as supportive. I think it's fascinating. That, uh, back along those lines, and this is you've given great background material here, Anne, in terms of uh, never heard that story about uh, Cardinal George and tearing up. And uh, but what what a story! Cardinal George's mother would drop him off <laughs> at the Art Institute, and she would go shopping. Now I have to be honest with both of you: if my mother dropped me off at the Art Institute, that would be a punishment. <laughs> <laughs> For me, well, you would have been, somehow knowing you, I believe yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> Even today, and ironically, <laughs> my mother tried so hard to get me into the arts because she was an opera singer, and I thought every mother sang soprano with the, while doing dishes. And uh, my background was more sports, but uh, I, as I'm getting older, I'm actually starting to appreciate more the arts and classical music. Maybe it comes with age, but now maybe for a second, Lou. You know, we've the fact that we are together in the rectory and we talk every day. Yeah. You seem to have such a passion for this area, and when you're talking about the patron of the arts, you get excited about it. Let me ask you why. What what what, what do you see the need for this as we pass on from generation to generation? Well, you know, I, I mean, I think that 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 phrase that you heard Nance spoke about art as a carrier of faith is that's 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 critical. You know, so in a certain sense, it's. Uh, it's another way in which the Word of God is proclaimed through images. You know, that, that's one thing. The other thing, too, that we, we could perhaps uh, forget, or it might be obscured, but the, uh, the art that we're talking about that's a part of our, our legacy and patrimony in, in the Catholic Church is not just a Catholic thing. This is uh, something that belongs to all of humanity. It's something that links all of us together, no matter what our particular... I mean, the images may be particular to Catholics and so forth, and especially uh, treasured by them and, and, and a source of devotion and so forth. But there's an, at another level, there is uh, an experience that is universal, and, and that's really important. It's, it's, it's something that belongs to all of humanity. So I guess, I mean, those are a couple of thoughts. There's, there's, there's a lot more, too, but I, I think that, for me, the, the faith dimension, the, the humanity that's in, in, involved and the human values, uh, all of this comes together. And uh, we're, really, we're really blessed. This is, this is a part of our lives. It belongs mm-hmm. to us. We close today's program with an important reminder that you can attend Mass Online by visiting our website, archchicago.org. That's archchicago.org. The Masses are also available on Facebook and our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash catholicchicago. Our thanks to ABC7 for televising our English Sunday Mass at 9.30 in the morning, to Univision for televising our Spanish-language Mass at 10 a.m., and Polevision for televising our Polish-language Mass Sunday at 9 a.m. and 3 p.m. Thank you for listening to us every Saturday morning on Relevant Radio 9.50 and 9.30 a.m. I'm Michael May for Catholic Chicago Week in Review. Have a great weekend. Join us every Saturday morning for Catholic Chicago Week in Review. You can stream our programs live or listen to past programs by visiting our website, archchicago.org, and clicking on Radio TV. And please connect with Catholic Chicago on social media.